Well, hello and welcome to Beat the Reset. My name is Tim and I am the guy in the hat. And today I wanted to quickly talk to you about what happened in 1933, the very last time that the currency collapsed and the banks closed. And I spoke about this in a recent podcast, but I want to revisit it and go back through the history because I think we're about to see something very similar happen all over again. And I'm just going to quickly run you through the timeline that led up to 1933 and then we're going to talk about those events uh, that happened that caused the closure of the banks. So we're going to go back to 1913, uh, which is when the Federal Reserve Act came into being on December the 23rd, which was two days before Christmas Day 1913. And, of course, this is where most of the issues seem to begin. Uh, it gave a private central bank uh, some incredible power to do things that we had never before imagined that a central bank could do. So that was 1913. Shortly after that, uh, 1914, the world was at war. Isn't this interesting? Is that by design or by default? And the world stayed at war for four years. What is it that could not be resolved for four years? 20 million young soldiers lost their lives, many of them on the Western Front uh, in Europe uh, during the First World War, which was largely a, uh, a trench war. And at the end of 1918, there was a treaty signed uh, and a declaration or the... Uh, uh, the surrender was signed at Versailles between the Allies and, of course, Germany. Now, that meant that Germany was made responsible for all the damages caused during that four years. Isn't that incredible? They got the blame for everything and then set about the task of trying to repay. That's right, trying to repay a huge debt to the Allies. Uh, of course they couldn't pay it, and it led to the collapse of the Deutsche Mark. So much so that you could bring in wheelbarrows, uh, loads of uh, Deutsche Mark, and of course, or Mark, and you couldn't buy anything with it. It was worthless. However, coinciding with all of that was the introduction of credit, and of course, this led to something called the Roaring Twenties. People spent up big. It was... Uh, it was opulent, it was lavish, people partied, and of course that all lasted uh, until people realised that credit comes with compounding interest. And that together with a fractional reserve system or fractional lending and loaning system that had been created by the commercial banks essentially led to something uh, called the Great Depression. And in the years from 1929 through 1932, the loss of confidence in the banking system and fiat currency in general, and of course the huge problems created by fractional reserve lending and so on and many other issues, led to the ultimate crash of the United States Stock Exchange, which took three years uh, to move from, to lose 80% 80% of its value over that three-year period. And, of course, this sent the banking world in 
to a spin. And by March the 4th, 1933, there was a new president of the United States uh, on the horizon. And it was, of course, Franklin D. Roosevelt, who had just come to office. And one of his first acts as, as the United States president was to make a proclamation, which became known as Proclamation 2039. And this proclamation was designed to effectively close the banks because people had lost confidence in the currency. The New York Stock Exchange was in an absolute disastrous state. And unemployment in the United States at that time was 12 million unemployed people. And in ni by 1933, 8,000 banks, 8,000 commercial banks had failed. And this loss of confidence caused what we call a run on the banks. People literally ran to the banks to get out their cash. And of course, people at that time had also hoarded gold and silver. And the government knew this. So, therefore, on April the 5th, uh, Executive Order 6102 was declared. That was a, an order by Franklin Roosevelt to order people to also bring their, their gold and silver. Well, gold primarily. Silver was a little while later, but gold back to the banks. So just going back a step to March the 6th, uh, just prior to that executive order, the banks had been ordered, essentially under Proclamation 2039, to close. So from March the 6th to March the 9th, they called it, interestingly enough, FDR decided to call it a bank holiday and basically locked people out of their accounts. There was no way anybody could go into the bank. There was no online banking back in those times. People were largely paid by a cheque. They would take the cheque into the bank and the, cash, uh, the teller would cash that cheque. However, people couldn't do this from March the 6th to March the 9th. In fact, it was a lot longer than that because once they'd closed all the banks to, to prevent people running on the banks... They then had to reopen the banks, and what they did when they reopened the banks is they categorised banking institutions into uh, Class A, Class B, C and D. Uh, and they opened all the banks in order of their likelihood to be able to survive once they opened their doors. So if you were a bank that was in a host of trouble, you were classified as a Class D bank. So these banks couldn't be opened till very, very late in the game, which meant all the major institutions opened first, which you could pretty much guarantee the common man didn't have his cash with. And then the smaller commercial retail banks in the regional areas opened last uh, to prevent these banks from collapsing any further. Well, as I said, uh, the interesting thing about the response of the people when they found that the banks were closed. Now, you have to think about this. People rocked up to their banking institutions and effectively, effectively found that the doors had been closed. Imagine what you would feel like. And according to the records of the time, people were largely calm. And this is very interesting because you wouldn't think that would be the case if you couldn't get your cash out the bank. Why was it that people were so calm? Well, the retailers of the, of the era, of the period, came to the rescue in the form of credit. And a lot of the retail companies, uh, wholesale and uh, you know, retail and grocery stores, started offering uh, 
terms of credit. So you could buy items because a lot of people didn't have any cash at that time. Uh, they couldn't get to their cash for several days. And, and, and as I said, pretty much from March the 6th right through to about March the 15th, you can pretty much guarantee that was the more accurate time frame. And imagine not having any cash for that period of time. So uh, not only was the huge unemployment, 8,000 banks had collapsed, total loss of confidence in the fiat system, you're also locked out of your bank accounts. So of course the retailers uh, gathered together and offered credit so you could actually still survive in some sort of way. Um, but then of course uh, came something called the Gold Reserve Act of 1934. Uh, and that was uh, not long after. That was on January the 15th, 1934. And uh, this one was particularly uh, interesting because people had already been asked to bring their gold back uh, to the banks. And if you did that, I don't know why you would have because, of course, handing it back to the banks uh, would have meant that they'd remunerated you for um, or with fiat paper money. Uh, and not only that, you were only given $20.67 per ounce for the privilege. So back uh, on April the 5th, when uh, Executive Order 6102 was brought into or signed into life, they gave you literally until May the 1st, so that is less than 30 days, to start bringing all your gold and silver back to the bank. So you can see how panicked the government was. And people were paid $20.67 for the privilege. And again, what they were given is they were given fiat paper money. But there was something interesting that happened uh, at that period. Uh, and the, the executive order, 6102, it actually conflicted with one of, the, um, one of the amendments of the Constitution. So the American Constitution, of course, underpins pretty much the way of life in the United States. But the Fifth Amendment, known as the Eminent Domain Clause, actually conflicted with Executive Order 6102 because that clause was designed to prevent governments just coming in willy-nilly and taking things from the people. But it was very specific about what it said. Uh, and Executive Order, uh, the Eminent Domain Clause, effectively prevented the government from taking rare collectibles without just compensation. Isn't that interesting? rare collectibles without just compensation. Now, you can't just give a carte blanche price uh, to all rare items and collectibles because they have to be done on a per-item basis. And the US government didn't have the... the, the um, they did, just didn't have the infrastructure to go around to each and every single person uh, and revalue those rare collectibles. Um, so things like uh, collectible gold coins or rare gold coins. So... Because they didn't have the manpower to do all of that, they simply decided that they would exempt those from, uh, from the confiscation. And that is why today you see that people uh, often refer to numismatics as something that, the government, that you should hold because the government in a confiscation effectively wouldn't be able to get to them. Now, the Gold Confiscation Act of 1934 was rather interesting what it did is it transferred ownership of gold from the people to the US government. And of course, you've got to understand that the Gold Confiscation Act was designed to flush out a lot of that gold, and again, you, give it to, you were to give it to the government. Uh, and of course, the government had a loophole in, uh, in the Reserve Act of 1934, the Gold Reserve Act of 1944, where it was able to devalue the currency 
at any point that it chose by simply raising the price of gold. So people, of course, brought all their gold back to the bank and the government paid them $20.67. However, shortly after that, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, once they were fairly sure they'd got enough gold and after May the 1st, 1933, they decided to shift the price of gold to $35 an ounce. That's right. So the common man was paid $20.67, but now they raised the price of gold to $30, uh, $35. And it stayed like that until 1971. And you're probably thinking, wow, that doubled the price of gold nearly overnight. In fact, it did effectively almost double the price of gold overnight. But what it really did for the common man is it lowered the value of their fiat currency by 59%. So the executive order uh, 6102, as I explained earlier, the, that exempted the collectors of, of rare and unusual coins, their coins actually went up in value. So if you had those coins, they skyrocketed in value as a result of that order because, of course, they were exempt. But the poor common man that was left with fiat currency watched miserably on as his fiat currency dropped uh, in value by 59%. Um, and the interesting thing about the executive order that exempted the rare and unusual coins is you could only really keep your coins if you were doing it for historical, cultural or aesthetic purposes. Isn't that interesting? If you were holding rare and exotic and collectible coins for an investment, then, of course, then the government claimed it could be taken from you because you are profiting from this. And, of course, you're a commoner. You're not meant to be profiting from this. Profit is for, for governments and, and and uh, yeah, big, big corporations. So that is the period that uh, is incredibly important. So the kind of coins that you can hold uh, still to this day that can never be confiscated. So even in a confiscation in the United States, the following coins could never be confiscated. Anything that's pre-1933 gold coins, commemorative US gold coins, um, gold British sovereigns, gold francs, um, and uh, again, these coins uh, became instantly more valuable, which is why a gold eagle, pre-1933 eagle, sells every day of the week for about $16 million US at auction. And just finally, silver was confiscated in 1934 under a presidential proclamation. A lot of people aren't aware of that. And people had 90 days from the, pro uh, the, from the pro proclamation to return it. And they were given just... 50, uh, 50 cents or 50.1 cents per ounce for the privilege. Today, the official price of gold at Fort Knox is valued at $42.22 an ounce, and it has never really moved from that. And I'll be talking more about that in another podcast. So that's it for me, the guy in the hat. I hope you learned something today from this podcast. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you are staying well. And until I see you soon, take care.